Okay, so we have Emily on the podcast today, and I'm really excited to have her view um, and her journey. It's it's completely different than anybody else we've had on the podcast so far as a guest and as a survivor and a fighter. And so I'm so happy to have her on and for her to tell her story. So we can welcome Emily in. Um, and Emily, first off, I'd love for you to kind of just give us a background of um, your diagnosis, treatments you've gone through, and kind of where you are now as far as treatment goes. Hi, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my original diagnosis. So it was actually about a year ago this time, one of my ex-boyfriends made an appearance in my life again. (laughs) (laughs) And he's actually responsible for finding a tumor in my right breast. No way. Yeah. It was such a weird thing. It just felt like it was so strange to have him walk back into my life after, you know, years of not seeing each other. And I think it was like the second time we visited with each other, he found it. And it was, I was totally in disbelief that it could be anything bad, you know, because I was a 31 year old healthy girl. Yep. Um, so he convinced me to go to the doctor to have it checked out. So I went to my primary care doctor and I said, you know, I, I feel a lump in my breast and I'm not sure what it is. It's probably nothing, but I thought I better come just in case. And she felt my breast and she couldn't find it. So she was ready to send me home. She, she said, I, I don't feel anything. Maybe it's your menstrual cycle. You know, maybe mm-hmm. it was just stick tissue, but I don't feel anything. So I, I laid there for a second and I said, you know what, can I show you where it is? And she said, yes, of course. So I felt it and I showed it to her and she kind of had an alarmed look on her face. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. And she said, okay, well, it's probably just cystic tissue, but Mm -hmm. we're going to send you in for an ultrasound just to be extra sure. Yeah. So I went in for an ultrasound and immediately they found that lump and then they kept, you know, searching the, the entire breast and the whole surrounding area, and they found a second lump in my armpit. Oh, my God. So I remember the, the tech left the room, and I was laying there by myself looking up at the screen thinking, what the hell? Yeah. This be, like, this, is, this can't be something. <laughs> so I, took, I remember I took a picture on my phone, and I sent it to my sister, and I was like, what the fuck, Laura? There are two <laughs> lumps now. What is And she was like, don't worry, it's probably nothing, you know, just don't worry until you know something. So by the time that ultrasound happened, I already had booked a flight to Wisconsin for Christmas. So I went to Wisconsin knowing that I was going to have to get a biopsy, but I couldn't schedule it until I got back to where I live. Mm -hmm. So I was worried, but not as worried as I should have been reflecting back on it. Okay, yeah. I think I thought that it was... I had convinced myself that it was just nothing. Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I remember having those feelings too. Like it can't possibly be what they're saying. So you just even, yeah. Yep. Was there a hundred percent. Yeah. So I got back, uh, I live in the DC area. I got back to the DC area from Wisconsin and I scheduled a biopsy and I went in to drop off the x-ray or the ultrasound mm-hmm. image, or sorry, the ultrasound image. And they said, okay, we're going to do the biopsy today because based on what we see here, we think we need to do this today. So I had to wait in the hospital for a long time. I think I was there for like maybe four hours, five hours wow. waiting for them to do this biopsy. And finally they did the biopsy and 
I asked the, there were two doctors in the room and I asked them, what does it look like to you? Does it look bad? And they said, yeah, Emily, it looks bad. Oh my we're, gosh. We're worried. <laughs> so that was when I kind of, that was, I think when I first started to realize, oh, this is something bad. Yeah. But then, you know, you have to wait several yep. days before you find out what, what it actually is. So I waited and waited. It felt like forever, but mm-hmm. it was probably, I think it was like four days. Mm-hmm. And then on January 9th of this year, I went back to the doctor. I brought one of my friends with me and that was when they diagnosed me with stage two, grade two, triple positive breast cancer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't think that they gave me that full diagnosis that day because they had to test to see if I was HER2 positive. Right. But yeah, I ended up being HER2 positive. And I remember my surgeon telling me, I'm so sorry. I know this isn't what you wanted to hear when we found out that I was HER2 positive. And I was like, what? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> that means, like, <laughs> why is it bad to be HER2 positive? I had no idea. Of yeah. Um, but... From there, you know, things move really quickly. As soon as you're diagnosed, they get you in for a bunch of tests mm-hmm. and, you know, a bone scan and an MRI. And um, I had to go take a chemo class. And I think I remember you saying that you had to do your chemo before you did your surgery. Yeah. And I had to do that too. And I was, I so badly just wanted to have the mastectomy and just get rid of my breasts immediately. But yes. Like, we have to do the chemo. Let's do the chemo first. Yes. So. A hundred per, I, yes. And it's crazy when you say that out loud, or at least it was for me. Cause I remember, and I said this, like I said that to my family and friends and they looked at me like I had three heads. Like, what do you yeah. mean? You just want to jump right in. And don't you think that's so aggressive to like cut your breasts off? And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, so pissed about the whole, you have to go through chemo first because I was like, I don't want to look at these things. I don't want to live knowing that like this tumor is in inside my breast and then it's in my yeah. lymph nodes. And I was just like, no, no, no. But it was crazy for me. My doctors, you know, like you said, when you get diagnosed, there's so many other tests that they have to do to find out like your fish score and your hurt, like your herp two positive score and my it was my doctor and my nurse navigator said you want to be her two positive even though that's more aggressive they were like you want to do that because of herceptin and progetta um like yeah. because of those drugs and they were like you know if and my um my nurse navigator was actually diagnosed she was stage 2a um and so she and she was triple positive and so she was like no 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 this is what you you want the her two stuff and I was like, oh, okay, so this is a good thing? <laughs> like, <laughs> good. <It's depressive. laughs> yeah, I was like, so it's, yeah, exactly. I'm like, so wait, it's good that it's that aggressive and that you guys are like scaring the shit out of me and we need to start chemo like next week, but that's a good thing. So it's just, oh, it's so crazy. So you started, what kind of chemo did you do? Did you do TCHP or? Yes, I did. Okay. And so my oncologist, referred to those as the big chemos. (laughs) And then after that, you know, I started the small chemos, just the Herceptin and Progeta. Mm -hmm. Um, So through those big chemos, I feel like reflecting, maybe my friends and family wouldn't agree with this, but I feel like reflecting back on it, I was like the epitome of calm. 
Like yeah. everyone else was freaking out and everyone else was all in a twit because I had cancer. But I, I was the one who was like, nope, it's just, it's stage two. I'm going to be okay. Everything's fine. Like, don't worry. I can get through this. I'm mm-hmm. strong. Like no big deal. Um, so I feel like I kind of supported everyone around me when really I should have been asking for support. I really needed support. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah. So that was, I mean, I'm grateful that I somehow found that strength and got through it. But then at the end of all of those bigger treatments, I just kind of started to unravel Mm -hmm. and it hit me, you know, how, serious the situation was, whereas I hadn't really had a moment to think about it prior to that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, um, and I say that all the time too, is like the fear and everything does not, I feel like it sets in differently for everyone. Like I was not afraid. I'd say like, just like you're saying, I was not afraid for me in the beginning. I definitely didn't have these, um, overwhelming, like, um, doubts in my life or anything like that. I definitely feared for my children as far as like, um, how this was going to affect them, but I wasn't afraid for me. And I felt that same way. I remember like being on the phone with my friends and family and I would not be the one crying. They would all be crying. And I'm like, no, no, stop crying. (laughs) It's going to be fine. But it really didn't set in for me until after, I mean, the scariest part for me was after my bilateral. And then I had residual cancer in my lymph nodes. Um, and I was just like, well, shit, like this is not, this is not, they didn't, it didn't work. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, it really does. I feel like it's everyone's mindset is different and it sets in differently for everyone. But I think it's amazing that you went into this, like, no, no, I'm strong. I can do this. Like not everybody tackles chemo like that. I really didn't know what I was getting in for. Honestly, now if it happened again, I might not have that. (laughs) (laughs) I hope that I would, but it was, I think that just because I didn't know exactly, I haven't, I mean, I had grandparents who had cancer and went through chemo, but, um, I wasn't like, you know, right next to them the whole time and didn't get to see all of the different elements of it. I really didn't know how, um, how serious it was going to yep. be and how, how how much of a toll it was going to take on my body. Mm-hmm. Like even today, I just find myself exhausted Yeah, after doing like nothing. Yep. And it's because of the chemo. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's a different kind of exhaustion. Don't you feel like, I feel like yeah. mine is just mental fatigue yes. all the time. It's like my body could probably keep doing things, but my mind just like shuts down. Like it just goes blank. Like I can't yeah. form sentences after a while. I'm just kind of like, uh, <laughs> like I was just telling one of my girlfriends the other day that I get tired to the point of tears on like a regular basis now. Mm-hmm. And how like far I'm just, out? So you started chemo in January or I started chemo. Uh, I think my first one was the beginning of February. Okay. So my last Herceptin Progeta treatment will be, um, the end of January, this January. So you finished the TCHP portion portion in like June, July? June, yep. June. And then I did my mastectomy in July. And did you do a bilateral or did you? I did. I did a bilateral mastectomy and I had immediate reconstruction. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, there it's the cosmetic appearance isn't as pleasing as we had all hoped for. So I'm going to have a revision surgery um, in January. Okay. And so how did you, um, so did you have to do radiation or no? 
No, I was really, really glad I didn't have to do radiation. Okay. They said, um, if you opt for a lumpectomy, you will definitely have to do radiation without a doubt. But if you have a mastectomy and you, and everything comes back clear, then you could probably be spared from radiation. Okay. So even though you had a lymph node, did you mm -hmm. have, so you had lymph node involvement or you had a lump in your armpit? I had lymph node involvement. Okay. But they were able to take that lymph node out during mastectomy? Yes. Okay. Okay, that makes that makes complete sense now. So you did immediate reconstruction, no tissue expanders, just straight to implants? Yes. Okay, and how was that process compared to, you know, just, I mean, because I, I had the tissue expanders and I, I don't even, like, thinking back, I'm like, I don't even know. <laughs> Those are the weirdest things yeah. ever. That, they, I feel like my plastic surgeon did a really good job explaining to me what the, the differences were between okay. the two options. And at that point, when I was planning that surgery and I was, you know, in the middle of chemo and I was going to the doctor, like at least once a week, mm -hmm. I was so sick of doctor's appointments yep. and, you know, having to disrupt my life for all these little things. So at that point I was like, do you know what? I don't want tissue expanders because I want to save myself from all these visits to the doctor yes. to do, the, to fill them. Like, I don't have naturally large breasts, but I don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I don't want to have to go to the doctor more than I already am going. Yes. She's, she's, she got behind that and she said, well, if we're able to give you a, you know, a bigger size, we will okay. <laughs> we'll see what your skin does during the surgery. And they were able to. So I was lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And did you, I, I've had actually, since I've, um, since my podcast about my mastectomy and just reconstruction and stuff, I've had women reach out and say, like, how did you choose on a size? And for me, I wasn't going for, um, it was a little bit different since I had to have tissue expanders and how much um, skin they had to take away and then how much skin was left. And that skin was really, like, it was just really thin. And so my plastic surgeon came right out and said, he was like, we're not going to be able to stretch this um, to, to a big size at all, unless you want like just massive amount of stretch marks. Um, and he said, you know, we can't do it comfortably. And I was like, I don't, I'm not going for big here. <laughs> like I'm not, um, that's not, I don't even, I don't, cause at that point I didn't even know if I wanted implants. I was still in this mindset that I was like, I don't know. I'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Let's just get through these tissue expanders and radiation and everything. Um, but I definitely I wasn't like if you wanted to do implants or I didn't have an option because I knew I had to do radiation. And so I had to do tissue expanders so that because uh, um, you have to fill them with saline so that the radiation so that the beams can penetrate into the skin and they mm -hmm. can't do that with um, an implant. Because the, the, like the fluid has to be clear. So with saline, it's clear fluid. The, the beams can penetrate straight through the implant uh -huh. um, or through the tissue expander. But with the implant, because it's silicone, I mean, I guess you could do a saline implant, but I knew I was going to do silicone. The beams would not penetrate through. So I had to do... Um, I had to do tissue expanders and I felt like the tissue expanders gave me a sense of what my boobs would look like because we expanded, once we expanded a couple times, I said, okay, I'm good. Like I don't need them any bigger. So how did you go about like deciding on a size? Well, you know, like I said, I just didn't want to, I just wanted to avoid more trips to the doctor. So okay. I said, 
do as big, you know, go as big as you can with the skin that I have. Unfortunately for me, I had a nipple sparing mastectomy. Okay. I feel like my mastectomy maybe wasn't as, I mean, it was very traumatic, but I want to say it wasn't as traumatic as women who lose their nipples because Mm -hmm. you're not, I mean, I realize it's, I don't want to say it's just your breasts, but it's, it's just your breasts, but losing a body part is very traumatic. And then on top of that, like looking in the mirror and not seeing any remnants of what once was, yep, it's just sad and scary. Yeah, it's definitely, it's a, it's an adjustment period. Um, yeah, I think everybody's mindset is different. I, I'm so, like I've said before, I'm so used to now seeing scars that when I do see a nipple, I'm like, holy, like, what are those? (laughs) I'm just so used to seeing my scars and I'm, you know, I'm sure you're like this as well, but now that you've gone through it, it's like you're constantly touching your boobs to like make sure. So I'm constantly like checking my incisions and checking my armpit and just everything because I'm like, I just want to be so like aware of everything. And so now I just, my scars are so big. Like mine are six inches across, um, both my breasts. And then I have a six inch scar underneath my armpit. And so now I'm so used to seeing scars that I'm kind of like, I could never imagine not seeing that. It's weird. It's weird how you adjust to these things. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I still feel like a strange sensation where the scar is, where I had the auxiliary node dissection, mm-hmm. I, I have just, it feels almost like it's not my body. Mm-hmm. Like it, there's just a weird feeling there. And I'm super aware of that part of my body all the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, will I ever get used to it? Will I ever, will the like regular sensation ever return? I don't know. It's a weird thing to live with. Yeah, it definitely, have you started to have, um, like your like the nerve sensations in your chest yet? No. So I like have. I I want to say it was like a few months after my mastectomy, I started having like these just sharp pains in my breasts, and I was like, "What is like?" And my doctors told me that it was like the nerves firing, like the nerves trying to like come back together. They may never do now. I mean, I still don't have a bunch of feeling in my chest. I definitely have no feeling in my armpit. Um, but yeah, it is like, it is such a weird feeling after all of that. Isn't that amazing that your body is trying to regain sensation and something that's not even part of you Yeah. to the whole, this whole experience has really opened my eyes to the fact that your body can go through a lot. Yes, so you much can trauma. Be really cruel to your body and still come out, you know, yeah. 100%. Yeah, so. it's more about your mind is what I yeah. have learned is that I, it, Yeah, and for you I'm just I'm so happy that you're here and that you said I went into chemo with I can do this because you just when you don't know what to expect, it's a little bit easier. Like you said, going through it again, it would be like, oh, hell no. (laughs) Like we're just going to, I pass. Can I pass? Because I don't think I want to do this again. So how have you been healing? Like you said, aesthetically, it's not what you expected. So what, I mean, if you want to elaborate on that, you can, if not, like I totally understand, but like for me, I'm going to go back in for revisions because my right breast, I'm completely lopsided. Like she just falls. (laughs) (laughs) That's my left breast. Okay. 
fault. <laughs> so the actually the issue, the main issue is that the my port is on my left side. Okay. So they couldn't remove all of the tissue on my left side. So there's like a little bit extra weight on that implant. So it's forcing it down. So it's lower than the right implant. Mm. And then, you know, I was really lucky to have nipple sparing mastectomy, like I said, but my nipples don't, they're not aligned anymore. <laughs> I have heard that. That Somebody contacted me the other day and asked me if I had nipples. It's weird how you just can DM someone like, hey, do you have, yeah. nip- do you have nipples by <laughs> chance? Um, but she <laughs> was telling me that she had a nipple sparing mastectomy and her nipples are like now on the side, essentially. Yeah, mine are too. Yeah. So they're going to try So what they're going to do when I have my revision surgery is they're going to do liposuction in my stomach, which I'm kind of excited about. <laughs> And then they're going to place that fat around my implants Okay. to kind of like, you know, get them up and in the right position. Yeah. I guess only like 60 to 80% of the fat takes. Oh. So it's possible that I would have to maybe have another revision surgery after this one in January. Oh. Which I don't think people really talk about that. Like as soon as I found out that I had to have a revision surgery, I was like, why don't I ever hear anything about this? I follow all these people on social media. I read all these blogs, you know, I research constantly and I never have read about anyone who had to have a revision surgery. Oh, yeah. I've talked to many women who have had multiple. I know that, um, but I mean, some do, some don't. I know that depending on, you know, what that first, where your tumor is and what kind of procedure you go through in the beginning, you know, whether it's tissue expanders, whether you have fat grafting, whether you have procedure done, it can always like change later on down the road. And, you know, revisions, I think are something that, I mean, maybe people don't talk about them as readily as they do like the mastectomy because going in for a revision is somewhat elective. You know what I mean? Like, right. You know, I could easily say I don't want to go in for a revision. I'm just going to live with my lopsided right breast forever. But it's a choice to go back in and say, okay, I'm going to fix this and we're going to figure out something else. I've had kind of a hard time trying to explain my decision to have the revision surgery to people Mm -hmm. because I feel like they're looking at me like, you're crazy. It's just cosmetic. You had this super traumatic surgery not that long ago. Um, You know, you've been through so much. Why put your body through more? Mm -hmm. But my rationale is, even if I wasn't single, but I'm single and I want to still date and, you know, I want to feel good about my body and feel confident. And it's not, I just don't think it's fair that I should have to live with, you know. Oh, no. And you should absolutely not. (laughs) My, My thing for sure was my own mind about this. Like, I felt like, how dare I want to go in and get another surgery to fix what I don't like. I mean, I came out with my life and it was my husband who was like, what the f like, go back in there and do whatever you want. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he was like, you know, you need to be happy with, or as happy as you possibly can be because it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to look how it used to look or anything like that. But to the beat to the point, like you're saying where you're comfortable and confident, um, I think that goes straight back to the mental mindset of everything. And mentally, if you're at peace with your surgery, then I feel like it will be so much easier in other aspects of life. Yeah. And you've already lost so much, you know, about what makes you feel like a woman. Mm -hmm. I mean, you go through chemo, you lose your hair, you lose your breasts, you just feel like 
absolutely not yourself. And then on top of those two huge things, you have all these other issues. Like, I don't know if this happened to you, but I got really bad acne from one of the chemo treatments and it lasted for several months. And it was such a frustration to just feel, I just felt so ugly mm-hmm. and not myself. Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it's not, it's not fair that anyone should have to go through that, but it's not fair to have to go through that. And on top of that, be dissatisfied with, you know, something that should be correct. Your, you know, your breast implants should yeah. look right. And I feel like it takes time to get it right. You don't know how your body is going to heal through all of the trauma. And that was the one thing for me going through radiation. My, um, my left side, which was the side that got radiation, um, is as hard as a rock because of all of the scar tissue. But we wouldn't have known that until, you know, it didn't really start to get that way until months after my exchange surgery. And then that scar tissue started to build up. And so it was like, okay, we didn't know that would happen. So that's the part where I'm like, okay, at least the revision options are there, like to be able to say that I'm going to go back in, that there's an option to try and fix this. And so that's, and I'm just kind of like more power to anybody that's just saying, I'm opting to go back in, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to put myself through something more, but at the end, it's all about how you feel about it. And I feel like that's just the most important part of all of it. Yeah. And you don't want to look at yourself in the mirror and be reminded of what you've been through every single time you see yourself. Yeah. And I feel like if you're not happy with the results of your revision surgery or your, you know, implants, then you will always be reminded of this horrible time in your life and you shouldn't have to be. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I use my scars as my strength where I'm like, you know, like I can just be in such a bad mood or something. And then I take a shower and I catch a glimpse of them really quickly. And I'm like, oh yeah, what was I just complaining? (laughs) What was I just complaining about? (laughs) Okay. And so for me, I do feel like I'm grateful for a constant reminder because now being outside of treatment and life just kind of, you know, your doctor's appointments slow down, you know, you're not being constantly monitored as you once were. You're able to kind of move on a little bit from cancer, even though you're still acutely aware of your body. Um, You're able to kind of look a little bit more beyond than the next treatment or the next hormone shot or something like that. Um, And sometimes I catch myself putting too much pressure on life and the future. And then I catch a glimpse of a scar and I'm like, okay, whoa, whoa, like sit down. I really went through all that. And then other times I see them, I'm like, damn right. I went through all that. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. They can sometimes be, you know, inspiring almost. And you feel proud of yourself for, for what you've gone through and how resilient you are. But you know, other times you look in the mirror and you just feel like, Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know that for you, um, and that was one of the main points that like, I'm just so happy that you had sent me a message saying that you listen to the podcast. And although you can identify with a lot of the content in it, that there's one part that sticks out that is so apparent to you that you're like, I can't relate to that because that wasn't my life. And that was the part of, you know, me being married And women who have come on here who have been married or in long-term relationships and they went through cancer, you, your situation is different. And so your feelings are different coming out of it. So I would love for you to, you know, talk about basically like what you opened up to, to me. Okay. So 
Basically, I'll explain. I'm from Wisconsin originally, but I live in the D.C. area now. And I have, you know, a handful of friends here. I have a pretty good support network here, but my family is in Wisconsin and I don't have a significant other. Mm -hmm. So for me, going through cancer treatment was, I think it was very different than people who are married because I didn't have a built-in support person. I didn't have a built-in caregiver. Mm -hmm. So I ended up kind of being my own caregiver. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that, you know, my friends and family weren't supportive. They absolutely were. But there was no one person there with me through every single piece of it. So the the cumulative effect of all of the cancer treatments is heavy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a lot to cope with and to think about. But I feel like it would have been easier on me if I had had if someone else had seen every single challenge that I overcame. Yeah. And if someone else, you know, was here to listen when I, you know, when I find something weird with my body that I immediately get concerned about. Yes. It would be nice to have, you know, the support there. <laughs> but yeah. No, absolutely. It's it definitely um it has to be so different and those thoughts and feelings about um you know, just going through that and knowing that, like you said, like you have somebody there, you know, like I knew that I had Chris there morning and night to pick up the slack, to get me to doctor's appointments, to just keep me going. Um, when I, when I hit those moments when I wanted to quit, you know, and, um, for you, what you're saying, like you were your own support system. Like you had to keep yourself going. Yeah. I was the one who, who had to give myself strength when I didn't feel like I had it. Mm-hmm. Um, through the big chemos, I had someone visiting me at like every possible step of the way. Yeah. So I had friends. I mean, I even had a friend fly here from Europe to be with me for a week after oh, wow. one of the chemos. But I had so much support from friends, and I'm so grateful for that. But no one person saw all of it. Yeah. No one person understands everything that I've been through. To expand on that going forward, nobody, how do you explain that to someone? You know, when you do meet somebody, you know, they are not going to understand the impact of the situation and that has changed you. You know, that's one thing with Chris is like, he, he knows he saw everything. And so it was kind of like, he knows when I'm having a bad day or when I can't relate to other people. And I'm just like, and I'm almost like, I, I need to cut everyone out of my life because nobody is understanding anymore. I know he understands, but for you, it's like you, you have to try and get to that level with somebody now. Yeah. I think it will be a challenge. I think that dating after cancer, I have, I don't even know how to approach it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be totally different, I think. And yeah, I'm a completely different person than I was. And it's not for the worse. It's definitely for the better. I definitely, you know, love who I have become through all of this. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it was, I felt really sad to say goodbye to the old Emily. Yeah. Like she, I feel like I went through this huge transformation and I never really got to mourn the loss of who I used to be. Yeah. Um, and that, that's really hard to come to terms with, you know? Yeah. Yep. And I don't think everyone necessarily talks about, um, that because you are so grateful and you want to remain grateful, but 
Um, and I feel like it's hard to bridge the gap between your old life and then your new life. I want to be ready to start dating, but I'm just not, I'm not totally there with my body yet. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm kind of, I mean, like I said, I'm in awe of my body and what it has overcome, but I'm, I just don't feel totally a hundred percent comfortable in my own skin yet. Yeah. I'm still kind of overcoming the emotional challenges of going through cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also I can only imagine the, um, the emotion and the, almost the insecurity of will somebody accept the way that this looks? Yeah. You know, um, and it's like myself have a hard time accepting the way that it looks. How can I possibly expect someone else to accept the way that it looks? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, Chris, Chris was there after my surgery. He was the one who took off my surgical bra. He was the first person with me to see what it looked like. Um, and I feel like whether he, whether he liked it, whether he didn't, whether he was scared, whether he wasn't, he couldn't say anything. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not like he could be like, oh, wow. Like, he did, of course, he's just going to be, like, grateful that I'm alive. But I always had feelings like, this is what you have to look at now. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I always felt like, not bad by any means, but I always just kind of felt like, you know, what does he think of this now? Not that he thinks anything. He's just like... I'm just glad that my kids still have a mom, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like all, none of that matters. And he reiterates that to me, but it's me who thinks like, you know, does he, does he catch a glimpse of it? Or does he, when he sees them, does he think like that they're weird? Cause they are weird. There is no tissue in there. So like, you know, mine are under the muscle. And I feel like when I move my arms, like the implant, like ripple, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I do too. Yeah. And so I feel like that's weird. And so I'm like, yeah. God, it looks strange. It looks um, not normal at all. And so I'm like, man, when he sees that, is he like, uh, <laughs> 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 like, like what's happening there? Um, I have hope that we both will feel more comfortable eventually because my breast surgeon actually had a prophylactic mastectomy. And she said that it was about a year after she got her implants that she, they felt like her, like yes. they, she felt like they were a part of her body. Yep. So I think it just takes time. I think and so too. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's mental. You it just is. have to gear yourself up and. It is. And I told myself, <laughs> like, I told myself after the exchange surgery, cause after the exchange, I did not, not that my, my breast surgeon did a, or my plastic surgeon did a phenomenal job. My boobs looked great. Um, I didn't like the feel of the implants in my body. Like I just didn't like walking around with them. I did. I just didn't like it. And so I kept saying, okay, I'm going to give myself six months, like six months. And if I still are not comfortable with them, then I'm going to have to make a decision because I just kind of felt like they were so foreign Um, and I just couldn't get like just my body and moving with them. And then, you know, like just walking on the treadmill or something like that, it just felt so weird. And so I was like, all right, I'll give myself six months and I'll adjust. Um, and if I don't adjust, then I know what to do. Um, you know, one thing you also hit on with, with talking to me was, kind of your thoughts and feelings about watching while you're going through this fight and being 31 years old, watching the people around you getting married or having kids or 
you know, just all of those types of things. And you're still trying to explain to people what you're going through. Yeah. I, I have a lot of good friends. I'm really lucky in that I have so many wonderful friends, but I'm not going to lie. It was, it's really challenging to watch them go through, you know, buying a home, having children, getting married while I'm, you know, sitting in the corner by myself fighting for my life. Yeah. I don't, there's not like a more pleasant way to say it than that. It yeah. just feels unfair and it just makes me feel a little angry. Yeah. But I think that you have to kind of look at the big picture and think you still have your life. You still are going to have the, all of the things that you want because, you know, you went through that fight. So you just, you can't sit around and feel sorry for yourself, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. No, I but, completely agree. You know, it was challenging to to watch my friends go through, and it's still to watch my friends go through these big life events and um, feeling like I was missing out on that. And maybe those things would be happening to me if I wasn't dealing with cancer. But you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah. What was? Um, I know there there's other people that have been on the podcast that have talked about like any type of fertility treatments that they went through. Did you do anything like that, or? was it kind of explained to you how that journey would go later on down the road once you're kind of like in the clear and let's say you wanted to start trying for children or anything? Did you do anything um, in that regard? I didn't. They didn't make everything. Well, I mean, maybe they did make everything perfectly clear, but you know, when you're in the beginning stages of a cancer diagnosis, you don't catch everything. Yes. And because I was going to all these appointments with different people. No one person heard everything that all my doctor said. I was the only person who heard everything that my doctor said. I probably missed a lot of information. Okay. Yeah. Of that. Um, but I, I wasn't too worried about my fertility. I just wanted to not have cancer anymore. So when given the option to freeze my eggs, I said, they said, we're going to have to postpone your chemo and, you know, it's, it will take more time and it will cost more money. And I said, no, I'm having children would be a wonderful thing, but I would rather have my own life right now. <laughs> so no, I think, yeah, I think that go that's... Ahead and get me through this and then we can cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, and after I finished my bigger chemos, my period came back. So I was really grateful for that. But now I'm on the Lupron shots, so I'm in menopause. <laughs> yes. Oh, those Lupron shots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Are you also on a Remedex or on some other? No, I'm just taking monthly Lupron injections, and I'm on um, tamoxifen. Oh, tamoxifen. Okay, so that's like the same. Um, I think it's either you're doing tamoxifen or, like for me, we did the Arimidex. Um, oh. So, and do you have they told you a time frame um, that you'll be on that? Well, as far as I understand, they're going to try to, they're going to take me off tamoxifen and put me on a different drug. And the other drug that they're going to put me on, I can't remember the name of it, but it's for women who have already gone through menopause. Yep. And I guess it works better than tamoxifen. Is it the anastrozole? That yeah. sounds familiar, maybe. Um, it's, yeah, the generic term would be arimidex. Some people, like, one of my doctors was like, oh, are you taking your anastrozole or whatever? I'm like, are you saying arimidex? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't understand. We throw out all of these, all of these terms all the time. Can we just stick to like the same script people? Um, (laughs) but yeah, I'm on the Arimidex. I opted not to do the tamoxifen, um, 
because we were able to like, same as you, like uh, right after I was done with chemo, like my period returned with a vengeance. Um, <laughs> and they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we got to, so we started Lupron immediately. Um, right. I think after my Lupron shot, it took three times for my period to stop. I still got a period on the Lupron. And then once we, it finally stopped on the Lupron, then they put me right on the Arimidex and that's what I've been on. That's my combo. <laughs> do you, are you giving yourself your monthly Lupron injections? No, I go in. Do you give yourself it? Yeah. So my, I actually am being treated at George Washington university hospital and it's a little bit far from where I live. It's like an hour ride on the Metro each way. So I expressed to my oncologist that it was just to have to go in for treatment every three weeks. And then on top of that, have to go in, you know, the next week to get the shot. I just said, that's just too much. We have to figure something else out. So she said, well, you can give yourself these injections at home if you want to. And I thought, oh yeah, I can probably do that. That's not that big of a deal. Well, when I went to the pharmacy to pick the injection up, I looked, I opened the box and looked at it and I immediately burst out crying. It's like the size of a pistol. I mean, it's like big shot. I, I, I'm not kidding. If you could see my face right now, I'm like jaw on the floor. You, <laughs> you are a flipping badass. You give yourself this shot. I've only done it once, but I will, <gasps> you know, continue to do it monthly. And yeah, it was, I, I called my sister after I gave myself the shot and I was like in hysterical tears. I was like, Oh my God, it was so awful. And she was like, but you did it. And I was like, yeah, I did do it. I did it. And I also shaved my head by myself. So yeah, I am a badass. You, Oh my God. I'm like, I am bowing down right now. Oh, <laughs> because even my nurses don't like giving me that shot. <laughs> Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, even okay. Do they give you the cold spray? Do you have cold spray, or are you just like jamming that thing in? I don't know what cold spray is. I just jam it in. What? They need to give you some cold spray when they is, uh, when they access your port. Do they do the cold spray on your port? Oh, do you know what? I'm using lidocaine on my port to numb it before the infusion. Oh, they give me like this cold spray. Not that it basically like gives you like instant like frostbite. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Um, and that's what they do on my port. And so that's what they do on my, for the, for my Lupron injection too. They just spray my butt cheek until it's like basically numb. And then they jam that thing in because I'm like, seriously, I cannot, like you are like next level. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even believe you do that at home. That is wow. Like I had never heard of anyone doing that. That's amazing. Legitimately. I cannot even wrap Thank my head you. around doing that. I don't even think Chris, <laughs> I don't even think my husband would do that for me. He'd be like, no, no, like, let's, let's just take you down. The size of that needle is insane. It's a, yeah, it's a really big shot. It's not a little shot. It's a huge shot. And the actual needle itself is like three inches because you have to get it into your muscle. So, oh my God. Yes. It's so big. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. That is Oh my gosh. So yeah. So that, so you've done it one time. When's your next one? Is it coming up? Monday. Wow. Monday is my next one. So yeah, I actually was on the phone with the pharmacy this morning to order the shot and I'll have to go pick it up this week. And then Monday, I hope I get like, you know, that little push of strength that somehow is still within me. <laughs> to oh, give no, my- you've, you've got it. I mean, if you, <laughs> you've come this far, far, like you, you have got it. That is seriously, seriously amazing. Like I, 
it's amazing to connect with this community of like breast cancer survivors because everybody's story is so different, but I always feel like I learned so much more and I always feel like, um, like even though we're talking about something so scary and so negative, I walk away from each and every conversation with like this renewed spirit and like sense of positivity. Cause like right now I'm just like in awe of you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just like, Oh my gosh. Like I could never imagine, um, you know, the fight being so different from what I went through and like, you know, and you've gone through it in such a different way, but still like you're able to laugh about it and make jokes. And even though it's, um, it's kind of like only jokes and laughter that can come from talking to another breast cancer survivor. Um, but I mean, wow, I'm just, I'm so happy that you like sent a message to me and like, because I feel like this is another level that women will be able to connect with or women who get diagnosed, um, and you know, are in a completely different position than other people in life. Yeah, I know I sent this to you in a message, but when I listen to your podcast, I like laugh and cry and <laughs> I feel all the emotions during every single episode of every single one of your podcasts. So, <laughs> Oh, it's definitely, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a labor of love, this podcast, I'll tell you, because sometimes I'm just kind of like, how much, how much does one share? Um, but then when I think about it, it's because of conversations like this, like sharing everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, because somebody else is listening, saying, nodding their head and saying, yes, like, thank you. Or I've been looking for this information. Um, and I feel like it just furthers the conversation. It furthers, um, the awareness, but I also kind of feel like it's, it's (laughs) semi-therapeutic. It is. It really is. Listening to other people talk about the experience is therapeutic and talking about it yourself is definitely therapeutic as well. Yeah. And having someone who can relate to you and say, yeah, I know that did suck. Didn't (laughs) like I went to, I remember at the big, at the beginning of my treatment, I went to a support group and I just had a really hard time with my port. Like I didn't have any complications, nothing went wrong, but for some reason that surgery, getting the port placed and, you know, the, the two weeks of kind of throbbing pain that followed was like a lot for me to handle. And I complain more about the port placement than I do about the mastectomy. Honestly, I don't know why, but I was telling this girl in the support group about the port and just how traumatic it was for me and how much I hated having it inside of me. And she was like, Oh my God, I know it's the worst. And the reason it's the worst is because no one tells you, no one says when you get your port placed, it's going to hurt pretty bad. And it's going to be a weird foreign object in your body and you just have to get used to it. Yeah. So I feel like hearing other people's stories, you know, no matter where you are in the journey, is just helpful so that you know that you're not alone in what you're feeling and, you know, to kind of give you some kind of expectation of what, um, what you will be feeling at different points down the road. Yeah. And to also, um, you know, when you're in, when you're in the fight and when you're going through all of it and you still are, um, and I feel like at times, you know, I'm still going through just random craziness, but, when you're going through it, it's kind of hard to see the other side. You're just kind of like, when will this end? Like, when will life be life again? But then at the flip side, it never really goes back because now you're just filled with 
this anxiety of being so young and diagnosed with cancer. And then, you know, the, um, the thought of reoccurrence and the fear and the anxiety of every little thing in your body, you know, like if I have knee pain, I'm like, Oh my God, is there knee cancer? (laughs) Like, like there's, (laughs) there's knee pain. And, and I was never that human before, you know, like this, I probably could have avoided being diagnosed with stage 2B if I was even an advocate for my own health six months before because there was a lump found um, when I went to my gynecologist and he said it's a cyst and I was like sure it's a cyst never thought about it again until I felt my own breast and was like wait a minute like that's kind of weird but I never took my own health that seriously and so now to be like a mild hypochondriac (laughs) like I feel yep. every little thing, said, right? I mean, especially for young women who don't get screened, you have to advocate for yourself. Yep. You just have to. And even if you think you're being ridiculous or if you think that you're making things up in your head, it doesn't matter. Go to the doctor and get it checked out because no one else is going to do it for you. Yeah. And you, and you definitely did that for yourself. Cause I mean, like you said, you could have just left when you went and saw your primary care doctor and she was like, I can't find the lump. probably a cyst. And you were, do you know how many women would have just got, I did because my doctor told me, Oh, it's, it's a hormonal cyst. And I said, great. See you later. And that was it. But I never said, wait, maybe I should feel it. I didn't even ask to feel it. Like I just took it for what it was. We put all of this trust and faith in our doctors, but we need to know our own bodies. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. It's crazy to go through it and then to think back of like the shoulda, woulda, coulda um, of it all. But then it's kind of like, all right, this is uh, – many times I feel like this is what I had to go through in order to be who I am just a year later. And don't you feel so proud of yourself? Yes. I feel like, yeah, there's times when I think that nothing else in the world could have changed me um, not that I was, a, I, don't know, I mean, maybe I wasn't a great human, but like, I just like, <laughs> I mean, sure that I could have improved on a lot, but nothing else in the world could have changed me the way breast cancer did. Yeah. I feel like I keep having these moments where I think, you know what? The little things don't bother me anymore. Yes. Like I don't get all bent out of shape about things that used to really get me wound up. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's because I went through all of this and I'm really grateful for that. There are definitely moments where I feel lucky, as silly as that sounds. Nope. I, yes, because you have that perspective and it's hard to, sometimes I wish I could just hand that perspective, like that perspective out like Halloween candy to people. Yeah. I just hope that no no woman in her 20s or 30s or 40s or whatever is sitting there, you know, alone and thinking that they're the only person who's going through this by themselves. Mm-hmm. They're not. There are lots of, you know, women who are going through breast cancer without a significant other. And it's challenging, but it's also, you know, equally rewarding because people are in awe of you for giving yourself a shot. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's incredible. Like, Honestly, um, yeah, to find that strength within yourself to keep going when really you could you, you could quit. Yeah, I don't want anyone to feel like they're alone. I just hope that um, people reach out and get the support that they need if, 
if they can't find it at home. Yeah, absolutely. And there are so many avenues to um, kind of do that. And it's not always in the form of a support group. And I hope that people kind of realize that because the support group was not um, a place for me. It just isn't necessarily my personality. I kind of felt like it was forced um, for me. So that wasn't the avenue that I went. Um, I, what I did, what you basically did too, is I found people on social media. I reached out to them and was like, this is what I'm going through. <laughs> like, I see that you've gone through it too. Um, you know, and I made connections that way. And I really do feel like it's a crazy thing, but the breast cancer community be it a community that you don't necessarily want to find yourself in because of, you know, the qualifications, the, the, (laughs) the entry into the community. Um, but it is one that, I mean, the second you meet another breast cancer survivor or fighter, you have that instant connection that is crazy. Yeah. And you kind of have a million pent up things that you want to say to someone, but you know that no one else will understand except for another breast cancer survivor. So you kind of hold them in. And then when you do get to talk to someone who's been through it, you're like, oh my God, the yeah. hot flashes. Oh my God, the night sweats. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah, it's my husband always says that it's funny to see me around other breast cancer survivors, whether that's at the hospital, the infusion center, or just when I meet people, you know, just being out um, in the grocery store or something. And he's like, the conversations that you guys have are like talking in code. I know it is. He's like, I, he's like, I understand some of it, but I could never rattle off at the speed at which you guys do (laughs) like all of the things. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, you got to get them out. You got to say it. Um, and it's so much easier. And at the end you just like are able to give each other a hug and be like, all right, keep going, fight the good fight. Like, yeah, I feel the same way. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and, um, I really do feel like if anybody is listening to this that finds themselves in the same position, you have given them so much hope and so much perspective, and you've definitely added so much strength to the conversation. Thank you, Kelsey. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. 